0: The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Built for Glory, Meeting God and Finding Freedom Through the Book of Exodus. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com.
1: Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus 20, verses 1 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Well, we are in Exodus chapter 20. If you could open up your Bibles there um, or your apps on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, they're spread out on the floor. And if you want to take one of those home with you, you are more than welcome to do that. That's our gift to you. If you're just joining us, we have been going verse by verse through the book of Exodus, exploring the story of Moses and the people of Israel as God rescues them out of Egyptian slavery and into a new and intimate relationship with him. Over the last few months, we have seen that God has set his people free from a life of slavery, and now After freeing them, after saving them, after showing his steadfast love to them over and over again, now God gives them the 10 words from him or the 10 commandments. And we've seen that these 10 commandments are not 10 ways to earn God's love. That's important for us to understand. The 10 commandments are not 10 steps into a relationship with God. See, I I grew up in the church and what I was taught as I was growing up in the church is that the 10 commandments are kind of like walking up to God's house and there's a note on the door that says, do these 10 things before you enter. And if you don't do them, you don't get access to God. If you don't do them, then you can never earn your way into the family. Now, that is not the case. And if you've been with us, you've learned, we've preached verse by verse through this. You've seen how this is the 10 commandments are coming after God has saved his people because the graciousness of God, they have already been adopted into his family, All right, And for us, because of Jesus, when we put our faith in Jesus and not in our good works or in our morality, we are adopted and brought into the family of God. We are a part of the family, and then the Ten Commandments are now our family rules, right? Everybody's got family rules, right? Mama's got rules. You know mama's got rules. Dad's got rules, right? Not like you follow them all the time, right? Anytime I need a hammer, it ain't where it was. I'll tell you that much. It ain't where it was. It's in a toy box somewhere. It's in the backyard somewhere. My rules, Some of my rules are arbitrary, like take off your shoes at the door, right? The Ten Commandments aren't like that. The Ten Commandments are all protective rules, and they are vital rules. They are more like don't touch the hot stove rules. If you break these words, if you break these commandments, they come back and break you. Every one of these commandments, if you break them in some way, you are going to lose freedom. You are signing up for some kind of slavery again. And God, as a perfect heavenly father, doesn't want that for us. He has set us free through Christ and he wants us to live free. And so all these 10 commandments, they're about being set free to live free. And these 10 words are listed, as you'll, you will kind of will see as we go on, they're listed in, an or, in the order of importance, 1 through 10. We talked about last week, you'll never break 2 through 9 unless you first break 1. When we fail to worship God, we begin to worship something else, and that something else is the reason why we steal, the reason why we commit adultery, the reason why we covet, right? You break the first commandment. And then you're going to break other commandments after that. We also see that commandments one through four, here's another reason they're kind of the order of importance. Commandments one through four are about about our relationship with God. Commandments five through 10 are implications out of those first four. And they're about our relationships with other people. That's important for us to know as we study the third commandment today, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, Now, it's easy for us to dismiss this commandment as not a big deal. I'll be honest with you this morning. I wasn't very excited about preaching this commandment. I'd never really studied it. And I kind of thought, well, this is going to be a weird week. Like, what's the big deal? That was my opinion a little bit. But when we think about these are in the order of importance, this commandment is given, do not take the Lord's name in vain before the commandment not to murder right? And so maybe we don't understand this commandment like we think we do. Just maybe. Now let's take a look at our text this morning. Chapter 20, verse 7. We got one verse. Oh, I love it. We got one verse. Let's do this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, Who takes his name in vain? That means there's punishment. That means something's going to happen. It's it's not just dismissed for taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, what does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? In its most simple definition, it means to misuse the name of the Lord. Now, before I go into specific ways that we can use his name in vain, we should ask, why is this such a big deal? Before murder? Like, seriously? Seriously? Why is it this more important than the command not to commit adultery, not to take the name of the Lord in vain? Well, to do that, we need to understand just kind of what's in a name. What's in a name? Your name represents you. Your name represents your personhood, right? Your identity. Your name represents your character, Your name represents your reputation. Your name is your oath and your bond. This is why we sign our name to important documents like a mortgage or those ancient things that we used to call checks, right? We used to pull these huge things out of our pocket and sign these things, right? We used to do that. It's important. It represents you. It represents everything about you. So we know that our name is important, but the reality is, if you, have, if you ever Google your name, you can even first name, last name, doesn't really matter, you will probably come to the realization that no matter what your mom told you, you are not a unique snowflake, right? There is somebody else like you out there with your first and last name. It's going to blow you away, right? Now, this happened to me. Interestingly enough, a, a guy who was uh, the, the, the uh, PR guy, basically, for Mars Hill Church in Seattle, uh, his name was Justin Dean, and I am a tech early adopter, and so I had Twitter like one of the first years it was around, and so I got the name Justin Dean. I didn't have to do weird things like you guys do with like your last name and then a middle initial and their first name or, or whatever thing you're into, you know, dropping bombs or whatever you call yourself on Twitter, right? I didn't have to do all that. I just had my name. Well, what, well when some, some stuff, some big fiascos went down at this Mars Hill Church in Seattle, all of a sudden, I started getting, my Twitter feed just blew up and there are people yelling at me and i just like, wrong Justin Dean, bro. Wrong Justin Dean, bro. And then all of a sudden I saw like my Twitter score like start going through the roof. I'm like, well, all right, I'll just let it go then. Huh? That's fine. That's fine. I'm a popular person, but it wasn't really me. But listen, though we share our names with people around the world or people in our country, God is different. He is the only God. And when Moses asked who he was, God said, I am. And then from that, we get the the word Lord, which in Hebrew is Yahweh. And I'm going to just say Yahweh a lot, because sometimes we use Lord as this throwaway word. When God says, I am, I am, and he says, I am Yahweh. It means, Yahweh literally means in the Hebrew, he causes to be or he brings into existence. What that's saying is that God is the only uncreated creator, and therefore his name is totally and utterly unique to him. No one else shares God's name. God alone is God. Yahweh alone is Yahweh. No one else shares his name with him. And throughout the scriptures, God's name is parallel to his attributes and his character. In Psalm 143:11 through 12, this is how David prays. He says this, "For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. In your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant." Here David is saying that the Lord's name is so unique. It's Utterly tied to his righteousness and steadfast love. So much so that God is bound to act for David just because the reputation of his name is at risk. To take that even farther, in Isaiah chapter 30 verse 27, the word name is used as an alternative for the, for the, the name Yahweh. So the words Lord and God and Yahweh are God's personal name. It's how we know him from others. It's his unique name and it represents all that he is in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his steadfast love, in his faithfulness, his graciousness and power. So to use God's name in an improper way is to blaspheme him. It's to speak of him or use his name in a disrespectful or dishonoring way. It's to slander him and his glory in some way. Now listen, think of that. When we use the name of the Lord in vain, we are defaming the Lord. We are slandering the Lord. We tarnish his reputation and offer to the world a false depiction of who he is. When we use his name in vain, we communicate that God is not really that big of a deal. He, honestly, he's, he's really not that special. His name isn't much different from anyone else's, and we throw it around without much regard for his reputation. Now listen, I've got at least three ways that we take the name of the Lord in vain that we need to think about this morning. Here they are first. Cursing. Oh my God. That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Oh my. Now listen, this is funny. It's so funny. When you grow up in religious homes, your parents kind of help shape your your idea of the scriptures, your, what's right, what's wrong. I grew up absolutely knowing that saying God's name in vain was a sin, and you should never do it. When I was in grade school, I remember going. <gasps> I'd be like, somebody say, oh my God. I'd be like, oh my Lord. Like, wait, what did I just do there, right? Yeah, that's, that's the Lord's name, right? The Lord's name in vain. Oh my God, oh my Lord. Using the name of Jesus like a swear word, right? This is dishonoring to the Lord. We are saying God's name is nothing more than another curse word. GED, like we could, I could, we've got all kind of variations of this. This is taking the Lord's name in vain. This is breaking the third commandment. Secondly, in swearing and making promises in his name, we're telling a story and we say, I swear to God that's what happened. Or making rash promises to the Lord. Lord, I will do whatever you say if you help me pass this test or get this girl or land this job. Making a rash promise. You're taking the name of the Lord in vain. Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your yes be yes, your no to no. Don't swear in God's name. And lastly, which I think is the worst way that we use the Lord's name in vain, is when we use God's name to push our own agenda. One of the most heinous realities of history is that human beings have used God to further their own agendas, or used the name of God, or used religion to push their own sinful agendas. Of course, we know of the Crusades, but our own country is no different. Frederick Douglass, in his book, Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, written 16 years before the Civil War began. This is what he says in it. And I've got a a small quote from it up here, but I'm going to quote the whole thing. He says this, I hate the corrupt, slaveholding, women whipping, cradle plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of the land. I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds and the grossest of all libels. I am filled with unutterable loathing when I contemplate the religious pomp and show together with the horrible inconsistencies which everywhere surround me. We have men stealers for ministers, women whippers for missionaries and cradle plunderers for church members. The man who wields the blood clotted cowskin during the week fills the pulpit on Sunday and claims to be a minister of the meek and lowly Jesus. The slave auctioneer's bell and the church going bell chime in with each other, and the bitter cries of the heartbroken slave are drowned in the religious shouts of his pious master. During this time, they would have preachers come in and just preach on submission to the slaves using God's name to promote their own agendas. It's important for us to see, though, this morning, looking back, this was not Christian. Frederick Douglass knew that. He said, this is hypocritical Christianity. It was using God's name to make money off the back of black human beings who have been made in the image of God. It was greed, it was racism, it was using the Lord's name in vain, and it was an atrocious sin against God. Or, and, and we need to be aware of, this. We need to be aware of this and any systemic issues that still remain in our society that promote this type of racism. Or listen to this quote from some German pastors in 1943. Quote, we are full of thanks to God that he, as Lord of history, has given us Adolf Hitler, our leader and savior from our difficult lot." We acknowledge that we with body and soul are bound and dedicated to the German state and to its Fuhrer. This bondage and duty contains for us as evangelical Christians, its deepest and most holy significance in its obedience to the command of God. Oops. See, some pastors and some peoples, people in Germany had so wedded their Christianity to their nation that they saw Hitler as their savior. Germany was destroyed, right? It was in a pitiful state. And they saw this man who was going to stand up and, and make, eat, make Germany a world power again. Uh, nuance. I'm trying to nuance. They saw him as their savior. Now it's important to note for us that not all the pastors were men such as this, right? Not everyone bought into this. There were men who knew their Bible and men who could read the seasons and read the times and could see things going on. Men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German Luther pastor who could see the anti-Christian evils of Nazism and he stood his ground and he resisted the empire and he preached the gospel and he made disciples in the midst of the chaos and he even participated in an assassination attempt against Hitler and he was ultimately hung and executed for his plot against the Third Reich. But you can see how men attempt to use the name of God for their own personal and political and national agendas. It's no different in our day-to-day. The Republicans bang their pulpits and say, God is on our side. The Democrats bang their pulpits and they weep their tears and they say, God is on our side. And the problem is, here's the problem. If you think one of those is right, you are using the Lord's name in vain. The more you understand the Bible, the harder it is going to be to vote down a party line. Right now, one of the issues that's plaguing our nation that everybody's talking about and nobody's educated on, but everybody thinks they are because they retweet an article on Facebook is immigration. And everyone has a Bible verse for it right now. But listen, the Bible is not a manual on how to run a country. And before I speak it on this, which I'm going to say something really, we're going to have a whole sermon on immigration coming up because God speaks to the sojourner and speaks to the, the, the people of Israel on how to treat the sojourner and how to treat the alien in their midst coming up in, a, in, in several weeks or a couple months down the road. We're going to talk about it. All right? But listen... I've, I've supported and helped world relief in our area for years. I've welcomed in Iraqi refugees into my home, okay? So as I'm speaking to this, I want you to hear that, that I'm in it with, with with us, right? But listen, the Bible is not a manual on how to run a country. In Romans 13, God tells us, and the Apostle Paul writes for us, that there's some things the government is supposed to do that's different from what the church is supposed to do. Okay? The government is given the sword in Romans 13. The sword is the ability to protect its citizens. The sword is the ability to use the proper use of force and discipline its citizens through the courts of law. The church is not given that right. This is one of the reasons the Crusades were so wrong. We aren't given the, the, the church is not given a sword to discipline the nation or to discipline people. We love everyone, but the nation is different. So think about so that, really quickly should Christians accept immigrants accept refugees welcome the poor and take care of the sick and marginalized absolutely yes amen not just take them in we need to go get them We need to go where they are. This is why we send missionaries overseas and send missionaries to war-torn countries that Christians are sneaking their way into Yemen. Christians are sneaking their way into Syria right now to rescue people. Absolutely, we do that. But a nation has a responsibility to protect its citizens and maintain its distinct identity. We just, we need to be aware of what's going on. Right now, just, just in Syria, there's 12 million refugees displaced from their home. 12 million. We can't, I mean, literally, you, no country can welcome that many people. This means for us, listen, the church has open borders. Open borders on immigration, on open borders. No nation, no nation has open borders. Every nation has to have some kind of regulation regarding who can come in. Or it's like this. If you want to be a part of the United States of America, you have to become an American. You can't keep Sharia law and come into America we're not we're not making our country a different country this is our and a nation has its govern a nation's government determines what that is and how many people now listen so this this is all i'm saying this morning we should be really careful how we use the lord's name to push whatever stance we have on immigration just be careful that's all i'm saying do we welcome them yes do we christians absolutely The church and the state are different things. The church and the nation are completely different things. St. Augustine wrote a book, The City of God. If you want to read about it, it's phenomenal. It's a big one, though. Get it. But listen, now that I've got myself in trouble with probably everybody this morning, (laughs) let's not point our fingers just at the politicians. We take the Lord's name in vain when we say things like, the Lord told me to marry this person the Lord told me to start this business. The Lord told me to buy this house. Now I'm not saying God cannot speak to you, but I've been around the block long enough to know that that is church speak for I really wanted this and I don't want anybody to question me on my motives. When we speak like that, we are using God's name like a rabbit foot to get what we really want which is our real God I want an upper middle-class lifestyle so I'm gonna use God's name to get that thing I want a spouse so I'm gonna use God's name to get what I really want we're treating God and his name like a genie we rub the lamp and we get what we want there's Entire churches in our city that preach a prosperity gospel that's based on this lie, using God's name to get riches and to get wealth and to get more square footage. And it's heinous and it's a lie and it's destroying people's souls. It's using the Lord's name in vain. Preachers all over TV preaching this garbage. Taking it even to impoverished nations like Africa and preaching this garbage. When we're over in Kenya, when we're doing work over there, we can hardly partner with anybody in the nation because they've been so influenced by this prosperity gospel. People passing out their business cards and all kind of things, just trying to get rich, trying to get a new car, trying to get more money. And also, as we study these commandments, so that's the, kind of the negative side, but on the, on this, as we study these commandments, we need to remember that every commandment is, is two-sided. To say you shall not have any other gods before me also means that we are to worship God only, right? There's a negative aspect and there's also a positive. So when God tells us this morning not to take his name in vain, he's also telling us to honor, worship, and revere his name. The psalmist understood this. If you read through the psalms over and over and over again, you're going to hear the author saying, I worship your name. I glorify your name. I lift your name up high and I praise your name. David says, blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Or from Psalm 103, of which we sang this morning, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that's within me, bless his holy name. The third commandment doesn't just tell us not to misuse God's name, it also tells us to worship his name and to keep it in high regard and The last three weeks, I've quoted Martin Luther, so I said, I'm on a roll, let's just do it again. So we've got Martin Luther this morning telling us to honor God's name is to use that very name in every time of need to call on, pray to, praise, and give thanks to God. Now, it's interesting to me. This is why when the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus answered like this in Matthew 6. He said, pray like this. Our Father. That's the name that, we give, that, that God has given us through the gospel of, of, his, of who he is and the new relationship we have in him. He says, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed. What does that mean? To treat as sacred. Jesus says, this is how you pray. Step one, say God's name and praise his name. Treat his name as holy, as distinct, as separate. See, Jesus, as the son of God who came to this earth, Jesus obeyed this third commandment perfectly. I hope we've all kind of seen this morning how we've probably all broken the third commandment. But Jesus is different. Jesus obeyed the third commandment Perfectly. He never took the Lord's name in vain. And here, here's another reason why we are meant to treat the name of the Lord as sacred. Because God wanted us to see how big of a deal it was when Jesus gets the name Lord. When Jesus gets the title Christ the Lord. God wanted us to go, Whoa! Because this is a separate name. Don't have any other gods before me. Honor the name of the Lord, right? Don't misuse the name of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stands up and says, yeah, but I'm the Lord too. I'm the Christ too. Now I want us to go to Philippians 2 this morning. We're going to spend some time looking at this in the New Testament. Philippians 2, verses 9 through, or wait, no, I said verses 5 through 11. The Apostle Paul speaks to us. When you're there, say there. I'm waiting for you. All right, good. That works for me. Have, this is what Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, stop right there. This is, we're about to get into some deep water Theologically. Okay, we're about to jump into the, we're out of the kiddie pool and we're into the deep end here. Jesus Christ has always been God, all right? God exists in a Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There was never a time that Jesus wasn't. Jesus always was the Son in the Godhead. He is fully God. That's what Paul saying right there. Though he was in the form of God, look, 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 did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he wasn't scratching inside the Godhead. I want to be first. I want to be foremost. I want to be above the Father and above the Spirit. It's not what he was doing. Look what he did. But emptied himself This means, most theologians believe, this means Christ laid aside some of his divine attributes, not divinity. He's always God when he came in the flesh. He's still God. He's man and God simultaneously. Theologians call this the hypostatic union, fully God, fully man, in one person, but yet in the moment, in the flesh, for his incarnation, for his kind of humiliation... What he does is he lays aside some of his divine attributes, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. He lays aside some of So Jesus, in a sense, he's not like Clark Kent, right? Clark Kent comes in, you shoot Clark Kent, bing, it bounces off, right? Doesn't matter if he's looking like Superman or not. He's not. He is Superman all the time. It's not the way Jesus was. Jesus laid aside his divine attributes. Keep looking and being born being born in the likeness of men who's a human like us and being found in human form he humbled himself god humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross now this is the gospel that god Christianity is the only religion on the face of the planet that has this this good news this gospel that god laid aside his divine attributes stepped into the role of a human man, grew up as a human man, suffered persecution like a human man, suffered pain like a human man. Oh, but he obeyed God perfectly. He always, he never broke the third commandment. He always worshiped God alone, but then he humbled himself even further by dying our death on the cross, the death that human beings deserve for their sins. Jesus Christ humbled himself and died a humiliating death on the cross. Now look, this is is interesting. Because of the gospel, because of what Jesus has done, look, look what God has done. Verse nine. Therefore, God, the Father, has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name. So this is meant to shock us. This, is, this would shock New Testament Jews that Jesus is now Lord, that Jesus is now Christ, that God who they thought, that God who is one exists in more than one person, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all God. And Jesus gets this name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, every knee will bow. And then listen, in Romans 10, Paul tells us, anyone who confesses their sins and believes in the name of Jesus, right? You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Anyone who believes in the name will be saved from their sins. The name of Jesus. And those who call on the name of the Lord are to be baptized, what? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now listen, what's going on here? In our salvation, in our baptism, we are being adopted into a new family and we're taking on a new name. This is why we use the term Christian. Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one from God. We take his name upon us. We get adopted into his family. No matter, hear this this morning, no matter what kind of family you grew up in, no matter what our names are, no matter what our nationalities, no matter what our backgrounds, no matter what our sins have been, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God and we all get new names. We get the name of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, it's this unique spot where first off before in verse 10, Paul unloads a laundry list of sins, okay? He names your sin. I'm just gonna say that. Whatever it is, whether it's lust, whether it's adultery, whether it's lying, whatever your sin is, Paul names it. Right? He's speaking to the church and he says, these are sins and they do not lead to eternal life. They lead to slavery, bam, 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 bam. Just names, names almost all of them. Just names a bunch of them. Junk drawer term for everybody's sin. And then this is what he follows it up with in verse 11. He says this. So here, I just named all the sins. And then he says this. And such were some of you. But you were washed. Is That up there? Amen. You were washed. You were sanctified. That means made holy, set apart for God. You were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Think about that. When you raise your hand and accept Jesus in your heart or you read a Bible verse or you went down front at camp, more happened to you than just raising your hand and walking down the aisle. The name of Jesus Christ was applied to you and through the name of Christ, you've been saved, you've been sanctified, you've been adopted, you will be glorified. It's all in the power of the name. And now we've been renamed. What does that mean? We're not our own. We have been bought with the price. We have been adopted into the family of God and we are sent out into the world as his missionaries bearing the name of Jesus. Colossians, Colossians 1, very famous scripture. Colossians 3, very famous scripture. I'm just gonna read it to you. Do I have it up here? Teeth, they're on it. And whatever, 317, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do it all in the name of Jesus. Honoring the name means everything we do should be done in a way that brings Jesus glory. Listen, this thing that we're doing, this family we're a part of, it's not about what happens on Sunday, just about what happens on Sunday. It's a a seven-day-a-week reality. Everything we do every day of the week Is meant to be done to the glory of the name of Jesus. The way we love, the way we neighbor, the way we work, the way we give and serve the church, the way we serve our city, the way we love those in our MCs, the way we accept those and bring those in outside of our missional community, the way we accept accept the stranger and welcome the stranger, the way we use social media. The way we talk about politics, it should be done in the name of Jesus, not taking his name in vain. I want us to think about that right now. Is your life bringing honor to the name of Jesus? How often do you think about Jesus during your day? How often do you speak? the name of Jesus during your day. How often? How often do we worship him and pray to the Father through him during our week? That's what the third commandment's about. Not just don't cuss. Worship him all the time. Everything you should do, everything you do should be done in his name for his glory. Think about this. The only reason our prayers get heard is because of Jesus. The only reason our prayers ever get answered is because Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father and he's, in it, he's interceding for us. The only reason we won't be judged for our sins and feel the full weight of the wrath of God come down upon us is because of the name of Jesus. Jesus took that wrath that we deserve. The only reason we can have hope in this life and not be overwhelmed with fear is because of the name of Jesus. Jesus has overcome the world and Jesus is bringing his kingdom and right now Jesus is making all things new that he is at work and will one day totally renew the heavens and the earth and we get to live with him forever. The only reason we will ever see God with our eyes and live in peace with him forever is because of the name that has been given to us, the name of Jesus. I started this sermon out by saying, what's in a name? I hope you can see there's a lot in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a lot in that name. The only reason we get into heaven eventually is because of the name. The only reason we can live in a community of people that's diverse from us is because of the the name of Jesus. He's softened our heart. He's humbled us. What's when, when I think about that, then it's like the, we go back to the beginning of the sermon and we're like, "Well, what's the big deal about taking the name of the Lord in vain? The name of the Lord in vain." How could I slander the only thing that's keeping me out of hell? We're in a I can just kind of picture you're in a building and it just collapses. And there's one little two by four that's holding this huge roof off of your head, and you're trapped underneath it. And you look at it and go, Look at that stupid thing. No, you'd be tempted to frame that thing, take it with you, put a piece of it in your pocket. Never forget, never forget, never forget. name of Jesus is a strong tower. The name of Jesus is our refuge. Think about it. We get to hide ourselves under the name of Jesus. And so when we come before a righteous and holy God, he looks at us and he sees the name of Jesus. What if he just looked at your reputation? What if he just looked at the way you love your neighbor? What if he just looked at the way you spend your money? What if? I'll tell you what if. You would be hurting for certain. Right? The name of Jesus. Now listen, we're going to come to the Lord's table this morning. And when we're coming to the Lord's table... This is a family meal. That means nobody comes to this table that doesn't have the name of Jesus. Nobody. If you're not, please hear me. If you're an unbeliever in this room this morning, I'm not trying to bring fire and brimstone at you. That's not what I'm trying to do. I want you to hear the only safe place from the wrath of God is in the name of Jesus. It's the only safe place. Why? Because Jesus obeyed God perfectly and we fail to obey him because Jesus took the wrath of God on the cross so that we don't have to take the wrath of God. And this is the reality. Come judgment day, come when we pass away in this life, either Christ takes our punishment or we take our punishment for eternity. That's the reality. And here's the safe place. Come into the name of Jesus. Come under the name. Confess him. Believe in him with your heart. Confess him with your mouth come be a part of our church. We want to disciple you. We want to help you walk this way. And listen, if that's you today, if you want to pray with a pastor this morning, when I'm done with this gathering, Pastor Tom's going to be down here and he, he will pray with you. If you want prayer to talk, anything like that, he'll be down here for about 10 minutes after the gathering and he would love to pray with you this morning. But as we, as the family of God, as we come to the table this morning, let's remember, let's remember what's in the name. Let's remember the name of Jesus. God become man, on the night that he's betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. The cup, this is my blood that was shed for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your great name. I thank you for your uniqueness. I thank you for your glory and your power. And I pray, Father, that you would help us walk rightly. You would help us not take your name in vain. And Jesus, I thank you for your perfect obedience. I thank you for your vicarious righteousness that you give us. And when God looks at us, he sees you. He sees your name. He sees the family name on our face, that we are his sons and daughters now because of the work of Jesus, not because of anything we've ever done or ever will do or could do. It's all grace. We thank you for it this morning. And as we come to this meal, let us eat and drink this nourishment into our souls that we are at the Lord's table as the Lord's sons and daughters. And Father, you are administering the covenant here. You are administering the meal that you have fed us with your own body and your own blood. And we thank you for it this morning. And we eat it and we worship the name this morning. We eat it and we worship the name of Jesus. We thank you. Amen.